Well, once again, it seems like the song that Mark and Kelly have brought us has preached the message, so we should just go home. <laughs> Thank you, Mark and Kelly. What a beautiful picture of what church can be and should be and what fellowship is all about. It is wonderful to be back with you after <clears throat> a week in Guatemala. It is fantastic to be back in the house of the Lord. I'm very grateful for my dad for filling in uh, for me last week. Many of you commented that uh, he, you can tell where I got a lot of my mannerisms from and some of my expressions, and, and it's because we are uh, definitely father and son and, and made after one another's likeness, I think, but uh, it is fantastic to be back in the pulpit, but I'm going to be gone next week. And the Reverend Trey Heyman will be bringing a, a message on running mates as part of our new series on fellowship. And I, I can't wait to tell you about the trip to Guatemala, and I can't wait for you to hear all about the Lord did through our team and what we saw and experienced down there. Um, but you're going to have to wait until July 29th. We're going to have a joint mission report on the fifth Sunday of this month between the Dominica team and the Guatemala team. And you'll hear about all that God did as we saw him move and in power in our midst. And I just want to say a little bit about it now. I don't want to spoil uh, all, all that you're going to hear on the 29th, but our, our team prayed bold prayers while we were there. And you prayed bold prayers on our behalf. Mary Alice Curley was telling me, I prayed for you every day and prayed for the team. And she said, it makes a difference. You can feel it, can't you? And I said, absolutely. And we saw those prayers manifested tangibly in Guatemala as we saw the Holy Spirit answer them time and time again. It was miraculous. Let me give you a glimpse of what I'm talking about. Miss Bobby Dunn here, as you many of you know, she collects glasses, thousands of pairs of glasses throughout the year through her different contacts around the country who send her used eyeglasses, and she prayed specifically that the Lord would provide the exact correct pair of glasses for each and every person who came through our clinic. And we had over 400 patients that came through just the eye clinic. And uh, of those 400, um, about 90 of them or so didn't need glasses. I think we gave out 315 pairs of, of glasses um, in total, and each and every one of those prescriptions was met with a pair of glasses that matched the prescription needed. I'm talking crazy prescriptions, like one lady had like a negative 8.75 in one eye, and a negative 4.0 or something in the other eye, and we were like, there's no way that's going to be, you know, there in the, the bag of glasses, and of course, when Allie went to look for them, boom, they were there, and that doesn't just happen, right? It's nothing short of miraculous to see stuff like that happen over and over again, stories like that from the week. But the greatest miracle we witnessed wasn't in the eye clinic. It wasn't in the, the, the general medicine clinic. It was in the soul clinic. There was a little corral of pews up near the front of the sanctuary where we had turned some pews to make a little square. And in that square, lives were changed for eternity because every single person who came through the clinic first was ushered into the Soul Clinic where a team of evangelists from Macedonia Baptist Church there in Guatemala would, would meet individually with each one of them. And, and, and me and, uh, and David Jicka, one of the friends of the, the Duns, also joined that team in, in my kind of Spanglish that I was able to talk with people and share the gospel with them. And and they were so open and so receptive to the gospel. And 
It's a country that's greatly in need of evangelism, as most of the people who I asked if they went to church or if they were Christians said, no, I'm not a Christian. I was shocked. And we had the opportunity to tell them the truth of Jesus Christ, and by God's grace and for his glory, 136 people made first-time decisions to follow Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Yeah. You'll hear more about it, uh, like I said, at the end of the month, but uh, praise God for lives that are changed for eternity. This life is so brief, and these are our souls that, and, and you know, I'm always skeptical, I'll be honest with you, about numbers like that, and I talk with some people on our team about this, but the follow-up is incredible that they're doing. Yesterday, that evangelism team went and visited those people who made first-time decisions in their homes to follow up with them and to invite them to church today. So be praying now for those 136 people who made decisions in Guatemala and for the team that is now beginning the work of discipleship as they embark on this journey of progressive sanctification in their own lives. As I said, we are starting this uh, series on fellowship, and let me tell you, not only did we get to experience the Spirit's mighty work of salvation among our team last week, but we also experienced incredible fellowship. I was talking to Sharon Dowdy this morning, and she said that on these trips, you know, you're instantly bonded to one another, and we experience that kind of bond among our team of 19 with our, our amazing, wonderful, humble, godly group of Christian brothers and sisters. And we experienced this amazing fellowship because we ate all of our meals together. We traveled on a cramped bus together. We worshiped together every night as we sang and read God's word together. We prayed earnest, fervent prayers together, and of course, we served together. We literally embraced one another with hugs of Christian love and Christian unity. And I kept thinking to myself as I was preparing this sermon, this is exactly what we're talking about all month long in July, fellowship, the bonds of Christian unity and sisterhood and brotherhood together. That is exactly what we experienced in a profound way in Guatemala City last week. So as we begin this new series for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what it looks like for Woodmont Baptist Church to have fellowship with Jesus Christ and with the Father through Jesus and with one another. Both of those are basic necessities for any healthy church. If we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, we must experience fellowship with God and with one another. Fellowship is the fourth New Testament purpose of the church that we've covered so far this year as we rediscover what our purpose is as Woodmont Baptist Church and focus on being and doing the things that we know the church is meant to be and to do. So we started with worship back in April, then we did evangelism in May, and we just finished discipleship in June as my dad brought the message last week, and now we're in store for a special sermon next week, like I said, as Trey brings a word about the, the people who run alongside us on this journey of life that we race with. But we start with the fundamentals of fellowship today. And our text comes from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. So please stand with me if you're able to, out of honor for God's word. As I read our text, hear the word of the Lord. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This passage mentions the word fellowship four different times. And fellowship is kind of one of those church words that we hear a lot around church. It's kind of one of those Bible words that we kind of say, oh yeah, fellowship. But maybe we don't really stop and think about what it really means. We have a fellowship hall right beneath us, right? We have fellowship activities and fellowship meals every Wednesday, and sometimes we get together for Sunday school fellowships, right? But what is fellowship really all about? Well, let's start at the basics. Did you know the, the Greek word that's translated here as, as fellowship that's used in the Bible? It's koinonia. It's the word that's used in verses such as Acts 2, chapter 2, verse 42, where the early church is first coming together and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. It's the same word that's used in Philippians 1, verse 5, <clears throat> when Paul prays with joy of partnership in the gospel, Philippians 1, 5. Koinonia, however, is a word that became a lot more famous in our culture just a few weeks ago. Have you ever seen the Scripps National Spelling Bee? You ever seen that on ESPN? It's thrilling to watch. These poor kids are just so nervous they're about to fall apart and they've studied basically their entire lives how to spell words from all different cultures and languages and, and now they're on national television and the spotlight's on them and the pressure's on and they have to spell some you know, insane word that I've never heard of before that has 32 letters in it and maybe a number or two, something thrown in there. It's just crazy, the words that they spell. And some of these kids are, you know, adorable and they're just pint-sized, you know, and some are super awkward and the glasses are falling off their face and some are sweating bullets and some are just so cool and confident as they spell. It's, it's just, it's so fun to watch. ESPN's been broadcasting the later rounds of the National Spelling Bee since 1994. I have some friends that are in a fantasy football group, and we have a group text that we'll text about sports every now and then. And 
they all watch it and they'll be live texting during the spelling bee. Did you see that kid spell that? That was amazing. It's so fun and, and the drama's intense. It aired this year. The final round was on May 31st, just a month ago. And here's what happened. Watch this video here. Karthik Namani, if you spell this next word correctly, we will declare you the 2018 <coughs> Scripps National Spelling Bee champion. Koinonia. Koinonia may have the definition. Intimate spiritual communion and participative sharing in a common religious commitment and spiritual community. May have the language of origin. Greek. Are there any alternate pronunciations? There's koinonia and kinonia. May have the part of speech. Noun. Can you please repeat the word? Koinonia, kinonia. Koinonia, K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A, koinonia. That is correct. Congratulations, Karthik. You are the 2018 Scripps National Spelling Bee Champion. <laughs> that trophy's enormous, isn't it? I don't even know how he stands with his hands like that. I don't know. I, my shoulders won't even allow me to get my hands in that position that he had there. But he, you see him smirking. He knew the minute that word was announced, he knew he was going to get koinonia right. The question for us is, are we going to get koinonia right here at Woodmont Baptist Church? It's incredible to, to see the drama in these spelling bees. Karthik Namani, he's a 14-year-old kid from McKinney, Texas, just outside of Dallas, and he beat out the largest ever pool of competitors in the Scripps National Spelling Bee, 515 qualifiers who competed for three days of intense competition. And did you hear the definition that the official pronouncer read there? According to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, Koinonia, he, he skipped the first definition. The first definition is Christian unity. The second definition is what he read, intimate spiritual communion and participative sharing in a common religious commitment and spiritual community. That's exactly what we experienced in a tangible way in a little hostel with far too few bathrooms in Guatemala last week. We were all there for the same reason, all 19 of us. We all had experienced the profound saving love of God offered through the free gift of Jesus Christ. We had experienced that love in our own lives and we were there to give that same love away to others, others who desperately needed to hear it. But of course, you guys who were on that trip, no one can stay on the mountaintop where you experience koinonia in an easy natural kind of way like Sharon talked about. It's just necessary to get along in an environment like that. The reality is that we spend most of our lives down here in the mundane, the everyday world of our homes, our work, our worship, and our play, our hobbies. Fellowship comes pretty easily. It's a necessity, like I said, when a group of believers are in a foreign country and they must live and serve together in close proximity 
A strong sense of fellowship is essential for any mission project to be successful. But the Bible is clear that the same thing's true for any church, day in and day out, right here where we are. In a, it's true Christian koinonia is a, an essential for a body of believers. If we're going to be healthy, if we're going to be effective for God's kingdom, we must experience koinonia correctly. Just like Karthik Namani, we must get koinonia right if we're going to win. In a post-game interview, Karthik said that he knew how to f- spell koinonia the, the instant that he heard that word. And so did a lot of other Christians who've heard that word in church life. I saw a lot of blog posts after that. One author, Rachel Held Evans, tweeted after watching the B. If you grew up evangelical in the 90s, you can totally spell koinonia because you had a crush on the drummer for a youth group band by that same name. (laughs) It may be an easy word for Karthik Namani and for Rachel Held Evans to spell, but it's an incredibly difficult trait for a body of believers to cultivate well. Getting koinonia right in our church doesn't just happen by itself. It takes concentrated effort and commitment. It takes purposeful prayer and active participation. It takes letting go of our vulnerabilities and our insecurities and bearing our souls to one another, to other broken and flawed humans. Simply joining a church doesn't mean that you're going to experience fellowship automatically. It takes practice Koinonia must be intentionally studied and practiced over and over again in order to get it right. And what we're talking about here, fellowship can't be done on your own. Like I said, it involves relationships with other broken people. And as you know, relationships can get messy quickly. It takes work. It involves that level of vulnerability, which leads to accountability, It takes a commitment to one another on a deep, deep level. It usually involves not only serving together and alongside of one another, but it most often includes suffering together as well. The Apostle Paul knew about the power of koinonia and how hard it could be to get it right. So he had spent a year and a half in the the pagan port city of Corinth planting and establishing a a church there, a healthy body of believers. And after he had left, it quickly started to unravel. The young believers not only were engaged in all kinds of immorality, but they experienced deep divisions in their church. They had turned against each other for all kinds of reasons. So Paul wrote them several letters, correcting them both on their morals, but also urging them, to cultivate koinonia among themselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he writes, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. We ever have disagreements in church? Yikes. Many of you have seen the carnage that happens in churches when they don't get koinonia right. Church splits, staff conflict, members leaving in droves, 
or slipping through the back door. Whispered conversations in hallways or parking lots. You know, our enemy, the evil one, loves to sow the seeds of division. He loves to break up koinonia whenever he sees it starting to come together. It's devastating when division enters into a church. And Satan knows the great power of churches that have a true intimate spiritual community among their members. And he wants to just break that apart as soon as possible. So John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, who was part of Jesus' inner circle of three disciples, when, when John writes this letter to the congregations of Asia Minor here in 1 John, he begins his letter by helping them to understand the basics of koinonia, because he knows they have to get koinonia right. And the key to fellowship, the key to koinonia in the church is Jesus Christ himself. He starts out this letter in in verse one by reminding these churches that he and the other disciples actually experienced Jesus Christ in the flesh. They saw him with their own eyes. They touched him with their own hands. The, The word of life was made flesh and dwelt among us as he wrote in his gospel In in chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus the Messiah who moved into our neighborhood in order to rescue us and bring us back to God the Father. John is saying here in in verse 3 that the purpose of his letter is so that the churches that read it would experience koinonia fellowship, that they would have intimate spiritual communion both with John and his colleagues and also with the Father through Jesus Christ. He's saying here that the the gospel message of eternal life, the word that Jesus came to bring us, binds people together. It binds us not only with God through the forgiveness of our sins, through the blood of Christ, but it also binds us to other people, people who have been resurrected into a whole new life just as we have. He's saying that this gospel message means that anyone who's been reborn, anyone who's gone through that baptism of new life with Jesus and has been raised into a whole new creation shares that new life together inside of us. That is really the fundamental truth for this whole series on fellowship. That all of us who have been raised into new life by the power of Jesus' resurrection are part of the same body with Christ as our head. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks. The implication here in verse three is that there's no way to have true Christian koinonia with those who are outside the faith. People who don't proclaim the resurrected Christ as Lord and Savior don't share in this special fellowship with us. There's no such thing as Christless koinonia. Christian fellowship only happens between those who have laid down their own lives and accepted the free gift of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Then in verse 5, John goes further with this image of fellowship with God. What does it look like? He starts out talking about the nature of God with whom we are now united in fellowship. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, koinonia, with God while we walk in darkness, then we lie and we don't practice the truth. John's already told us that he's writing this so that we may have true koinonia with him 
and with God the Father through Jesus. Now he's showing us what that looks like. God is light. He's the ultimate source of life. He's the life giver who 24-7 pours out his light and life on us, who sustains all creation. That's what God is, and that's his nature. So anyone who's walking around in darkness, anyone who's still wearing the old grave clothes of death, is not in fellowship with God, the God of life and light. As we keep reading in the news, there's a lot of people in our world who live double lives, who live part of their lives in the darkness, who are in secret sin and shame, who experience the the guilt and they're too afraid to expose their life to the light of Christ and to the light of others. But verse seven says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is saying that when we live in the fullness of life revealed in Christ, when we, when, we, when we wear the resurrection clothes of salvation, then we experience intimate spiritual community with the Father and with each other, having all of our sins and guilt and shame washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. All the deeds that are done in darkness pale in comparison to living openly in the life-giving light and freedom of Jesus Christ. Again, this is the foundation for koinonia. If we're gonna get koinonia right like Karthik Namani did, we must start with the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus in our own lives. And we have to admit that sin still affects us, that sin, sin still persists in our lives. We all wrestle constantly against our own flesh. Even the apostle John, the apostle who Jesus loved, says here in verse eight, if we say that we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Even John sinned and wrestled with sin. You know, this whole lie that our culture tells us of, I'm okay, you're okay, you have it all together, I have it all together, that's another tactic of Satan to get us to think that we don't need a savior. What's the point in saying, oh, Jesus, we need you if you think you have it all together? The truth is that we're in a daily battle. It's a deadly battle. It's true. And it's only by God's grace in Jesus that we have hope of living in freedom and joy. John says the point of this is that our joy may be complete. God doesn't want you just to follow the rules so you can be good and go to heaven. He wants you to thrive and to flourish as he created you to. So instead of claiming that we're without sin, which apparently was a problem in these churches, verse nine says we are to confess our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a powerful verse that is. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 1. God is not some awful parent who's gonna be disappointed and is gonna punish us unfairly. God's nature, God's character is such that he is defined by his steadfast love. His mercy never fails. His grace is never exhausted. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We can come to him knowing in confidence 
that he is a good and merciful father. Confession is one of the keys to fellowship here. We see that clearly. And confession is not just admitting to God that we've messed up. Confession is, is asking God, pleading for forgiveness for our, our sins and our brokenness and our, our deep flaws. It's asking God to, to forgive us knowing that the grace that he lavishes on us was not cheap, but it cost us, it cost him the blood of his only son. So to recap, if we're going to get koinonia right here at Woodmont Baptist Church, if we're going to experience intimate communion, communion with one another and with God, then first we must remember that true Christian fellowship is gospel-centric. It's rooted in the truth of the gospel. Koinonia comes through our communion with God, the Father, through Jesus Christ and through the cross. This is what creates the deep spiritual bond between us that makes us family, that makes us brothers and sisters. Actually, it makes us closer than family. It makes us heirs of eternity together. We are now bonded together in an intimate way. Second, we see here that koinonia requires transparency. There's a level of vulnerability and accountability that must come with koinonia. We must walk in the light, exposing the works of darkness. Ephesians 5 verse 11 says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. You know, fellowship requires a, a deep commitment to living openly before God and before each other. And sometimes that means helping to bring others back into the light when they are living in the dark. There's a, a level of vulnerability and suffering together that must come into play. I was talking with a church member recently who was telling me about the death of a loved one that they experienced. And, and she didn't want to leave the house, of course, when you go through grief, but her husband encouraged her to come to church. And she made herself vulnerable and exposed. She was raw and grieving. But she said that this church just poured out grace and love on her. And, and it took all of us, the body of Christ, to help her through that, that time. It's a beautiful picture of what the church can be and should be once you open up and allow yourself to become vulnerable to the presence of brothers and sisters in your life. And finally, true koinonia involves telling the truth about our sin, that we are more deeply flawed than we ever dared to imagine we could be. And then confessing that sin and brokenness to God and seeking his grace to cover over us again. If we're going to remember these things, the primacy of the gospel, the transparency of walking in the light, and the confessing of our sins daily to God, then we will experience the true intimate spiritual community, the kind of fellowship that transforms a group of broken and flawed people like me and you into the glorious body of Jesus Christ. And I generally think Woodmont does a great job of this. I've heard time and time again about the fellowship that we experience here at Woodmont. You guys love each other. And I love that. Visitors who come here experience that kind of warm welcome that you show them as we are bonded together through the same faith that we share. I, I saw Marsha and Alan Craig come in this morning and everyone just hug on them and love on them. And that was so neat to see that. I, I, I saw the pictures from the Eddie Fest. Many of you have been to Eddie Fest over at, 
at Eddie Chisholm's house. 200 something people, was that right? Oh, 219? 119. It's insane in his you know, little backyard there in Berry Hill. And it's just family. And he says, this is my family. That is Koinonia at Eddie Fest every year. Wednesday night suppers, just sitting around the table, sometimes crying with you, sometimes laughing with you, sometimes helping to control my kids. <laughs> That's fellowship. That's koinonia. But the truth is we have a long way to go. There's a pervasive loneliness in our culture. There are many people who are, who are, are single and don't have earthly families that are nearby who long to be a part of something intimate and, and close-knit like a church community should be. We have plenty of people here who are grieving, like that church member I was talking about, who need a church family to wrap their arms around them constantly and to pour out grace on them, to be the body of Christ to them. The question is for us, will we, like Karthik Namani, will we get Koinonia right here at Woodmont Baptist Church as we move forward into the next 75 years? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for the grace that you've shown us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, we can never repay you for what you've done for us, for the grace that was so costly that you did not spare your only son, but gave him for us so that we could be united to you and to one another in the intimate bonds of Christian brotherhood and sisterhood the kind of bonds that go beyond a nuclear family even, the kind of bonds that make us one in the bond of love. God, I pray that we would experience the gospel in our own lives over and over again, that we would remind ourselves of the truth of what you've done for us, and that let that gospel truth unite us to one another. Help us to, to get over the fear of exposing our sin Help us to live openly. Remind us that you take all of our shame and all of our guilt upon your shoulders on the cross of Jesus Christ. And you have nailed them to the tree and they are no more uh, condemning us, but that you have set us free for freedom's sake. God, I pray that you would allow us to walk openly in the light, doing life together in ways that require openness and vulnerability, and messy relationships. Help us to experience true koinonia at Woodmont Baptist Church. We know there are so many people in this room right now who are lonely, who are hurting, who need a body of Christ to wrap their arms lovingly around them. May we do that with joy, with great energy and purpose and prayer, oh God, and experience the beauty of spiritual community. We love you, O oh God. We pray all these things in the high and the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you have never experienced koinonia in that kind of way, and you say, that's what I'm looking for. I want to be a part of that. Christianity is a team sport. You cannot do it on your own. I don't care how good, well, maybe, you know, LeBron versus like Jude's basketball team would probably still win, but Five on one is not good odds, right? It's a team sport. When we do it together, we can do anything. God can do anything through a united group 
of people that love each other. And if you want to be part of that and you want to join Woodmont Baptist Church, we're going to look at what membership looks like too at Woodmont as we talk about the future. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to join this church and be a part of this family of faith. We're not perfect, but we will commit to love you and to embrace you in the bonds of Christian brotherhood and Christian sisterhood. If you've never received the gospel of Jesus Christ in your heart, again, we had 136 people who were born again, who moved from death to life in Guatemala. If you know that the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart, let him in today. I'd love to share with you more about what the gospel means and what it does inside of you as it makes you a brand new creation. If you need to talk with me about that, I'll be down front during our time here. We also had six rededications in Guatemala. If you have just kind of fallen away from God and from from the body of Christ, the church, and you know that God's calling you to come back to him and you want to rededicate your life to him, I'd love to talk with you about that as well. Or maybe you just want to come and pray with somebody. I'm going to ask Jan if she'll come up here and Trey if you'll come right here. If you just want to pray with one of these prayer warriors or, or, or me, or if you just want to come and kneel at the altar, it'll be open as well for prayer. Whatever it is you need to do during this time, don't leave this place until you have made things right with the Lord. Let's stand and sing our hymn of invitation. Come all Christians, be committed.